Water's Edge podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout the Murray-Darling Basin and Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the elders past, present and emerging. Coming up, how water management has been difficult to navigate for decades. In 2006, John Howard got a bunch of smart people in his office when he was planning the National Plan for Water. And he said, how much water do we have in this country? And no one could answer him the question. Plus, is it possible to predict when the next drought will be? And really, looking back at historical cycles of floods and droughts, I know there's something about human nature that makes us do that, but it's quite unhelpful. In the first episode of Season 2 of Water's Edge, we speak to Matthew Colton, who is the General Manager of Water and Agriculture at the Bureau of Meteorology. Good afternoon, Matthew. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, the first episode of Season 2 of Water's Edge. We might just kick things off with a bit of an introduction to who you are uh, and what you do with the Bureau. Yeah, um, yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm the General Manager of the Agriculture and Water Program. And in short, what that means is I'm responsible for the things that the Bureau contributes to the agriculture and water sectors. Um, so my KPI and the KPI of my team is essentially how much value and impact we can provide to the Australian water sector and the Australian ag sector. Um, so who we consider our key customers, um, I guess from an ag, ag perspective, it's ultimately farmers, but we also work through a lot of those industry agencies to deliver value through them. Um, and from a water perspective, really our role fundamentally is fulfilling our responsibilities under the Water Act to provide national water information to inform um, both policy making, water management and um, water use, um, but then also providing as many services as we can to the likes of um, water management agencies so they can operate dams and rivers efficiently. The Inspector General is responsible for providing independent oversight and monitoring of Commonwealth and Basin State compliance to help increase trust and transparency in water management. So what exactly is the Bureau responsible for in the Water Act? It's probably a bit of the Bureau that's not that well known, but um, I'm obviously very passionate about. Um, in 2007, when the Commonwealth introduced the Water Act, um, it was sort of realised that there was no nationally consistent water information. Um, so the anecdote that I've been heard, and you know, I can't, I can't verify it, but I've heard it from multiple sources, is in 2006, John Howard got a bunch of smart people in his office when he was planning the National Plan for Water. And he said, how much water do we have in this country? and no one could answer him the question. A key challenge for water management is that there are so many inconsistencies. That's something found in Des Pearson's review, which we talked about in season one. Here's a little snippet in case you've forgotten. Yeah, look, it is uh, more certainly more pronounced in water. I've, I've walked in a, worked in a range of uh, policy areas, and uh, this has got to be at, at one extreme. But I think I'm hopeful people see the benefit of collaboration. I, I was a bit put back by the number of times privacy, confidentiality <laughs> were called and they're, they're holding to their particular terminology. And I, I think that's that's a bit of a socialising challenge we've got that, uh, as Troy said in the Inspector General in the, in the Leaders Forum, we're beginning to uh, address that. And I think uh, if we get a few wins where they benefit from the experience of others and see that... Uh, that's that's a smarter way ahead is to learn from the experience of others and to work cooperatively with others. Um, 
I think that that's a, a good outcome. Ensuring there's consistency is a key challenge the Bureau is tackling with its national water hub. And at that stage, um, you know, water was very much managed at the state level or the sub-state level and data sat in so many different places, in different organisations, in different formats. And the decision was made at the time that if we're going to have a national plan for water, then we needed national water data and information um, to underpin those decisions. So the Bureau was given a job um, as Australia's Water Information Agency. Under the power of the water regulation, that means the Bureau collects about 15,000 data files a day from 236 different agencies in Australia, where it's then standardised. It's a big task to tackle, further highlighting the challenges of water management. For the big agencies, it's largely all automated. Um, data goes into their systems, gets spat out, come into ours and, and appears somewhere on a Bureau website as part of a national data set. Um, but then for more niche data um, or smaller agencies, there's some manual um, provision of data as well. So things like water accounting information we only get once a year, um, whereas flood data we get every 15 minutes. The process to bring all this information together can take a long time, but Matt says it's an extremely important job. Um, the key thing that um, it probably sounds boring to most people, but I think is probably the most important thing we do, is actually write standards. Mm. So that means that all water management agencies, when they're collecting water data, they do it in the same way. Um, they communicate it in the same way. So when we pull it all together and put it into a, a national data set, um, we're comparing apples with apples. The Inspector General is working towards achieving something similar with the Regulatory Leaders Forum, established to help improve collaboration and consistency across basin states, ultimately improving trust and confidence in how the basin's water is being managed. Yeah, it's a really good point and um, I think the, the issue that we've been faced with in, the, in recent years is that when the Bureau started doing this work in 2007, there was very little public water information available. So the Bureau was filling a big gap and what we've seen in probably the last five years particularly is um, a lot of different agencies have become more mature in their data and information and now there's a lot of different water information out there. Um, so when the, the first Inspector General wrote a report into this, he described, I think his words were, the, the plethora of water information products were slavish. Yep. <laughs> and, and so for an organisation like the Bureau, it leads to a bit of introspective, introspection to say, it's no longer good enough for us just to sort of put information out there that will... Um, you know, add to the noise and confuse people, but really know what our value proposition is. Um, and so in my view, what, what our value proposition, our proposition really is, is getting that data together in a standard way. Um, in some instances, we'll then do the value add and, and make nice portals or reports. Um, but in many instances, we just need to make that data available mm. and, and allow other people to go and um, innovate and, and develop their own tools and products. This is Water's Edge. For more information, visit www.igwc.gov.au. The most recent weather outlook from the Bureau indicates that La Nina is starting to ease as we head into 2023. But Matt says La Nina and El Nino events are just some of the weather indicators used by the Bureau. Um, but I think it is important to highlight to listeners that um, although we speak about El Nino and La Nina a lot, um, it's sort of drummed into us, it's in the newspaper every mm. year. Um, it is just one of the climate drivers that Im impacts um, weather in the Murray-Darling Basin. Um, particularly the other big one is is what's happening in the Indian Ocean, the Indian Ocean Dipole, which um, 
I guess to to summarise it is just the equivalent of what El Nino and La Nina is, but on the other side of the country. Okay. Conditions in the Indian Ocean have actually been um, one of the really big drivers behind both our wet and dry periods in the basin in the last 20 years. Um, so what I'd encourage people to do who really want to understand what's happening with the climate is is look at our climate outlooks and our long-range forecasts because they do the work of considering all the various climate drivers, um, you know, what's happening in the Pacific Ocean, what's happening in the Indian Ocean, what's happening in the Southern Ocean, um, what's happening in the tropics, and they do that translation work for you. Uh, I have found where sometimes people get really set on just looking at, at, at one thing. Um, it, it can sort of, um, I guess, uh, doesn't give the full picture of what's going on. The Murray-Darling Basin is so big with such a varying climate from one end to the other. In fact, it covers about 14% of Australia's landmass, or a similar size to both France and Spain, joined together. It's no wonder it can be difficult to provide a specific overview of the weather forecast for such a large area. The basin's a big place and, and it has different climates in it. And it is probably important to note that at this, this time of year, um, generally, in an average year, you'd have the rainfall slowing down in the southern basin where they have really wet winter and spring. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and generally, summer is pretty dry in the southern basin and we see... Uh, dam storage levels decline um, as the irrigation season kicks in, um, whereas it's a different story in the north. The north has a much more variable climate over the course of the year, but but generally the northern basin actually has more rain in late summer and autumn. Um, so it's certainly not enough to call it a wet season, <laughs> um, but um, it is sort of particularly given that we've got a lot of full rivers and, mm. and full dams, um, it's important to note that, um, you know, when we often see the biggest floods in the northern basin are actually late summer and into autumn. Um, so although things may be calming down in the southern basin as we head into that um, summer irrigation season, um, in the northern basin we are sort of entering the period where we get more um, extreme rainfall and sometimes flooding. We are certainly a country of drought and flooding rains, and it means we need to be prepared for adverse weather events and frequent ones. The Water Market Reform Roadmap was released in October 2022 and was developed by the Independent Principal Advisor, Mr Darrell Quinlivan AO. This report contains 23 recommendations to drive water market reforms. The report said water market reform needs to be sorted before the next drought. So how long do we have to get water market reforms underway? Now, if we're looking at statistically speaking, you know you can't really predict a drought, but we had the millennium drought from 97 to 2009, and then we had the most recent one from 2017 to 2019. So 2027, is that what what we're looking at for the next drought? Oh, look, if I could pick the next drought, I wouldn't be working here. I'd be a very rich man. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be be doing something else, but... um, you know, it is, a, it is a big challenge because our climate outlooks are getting more and more skillful and they're doing a pretty good job of looking sort of into the season ahead. But it's very, very difficult to say with any confidence sort of what happens beyond, um, I guess, the next four months mm. um, out to two years. And really looking back at historical cycles of floods and droughts, I know there's something about human nature that makes us do that, but it's quite unhelpful to understanding floods and, and droughts. We've had periods... Um, throughout history where we've had um, really quick shifts from droughts to floods like we've had recently and we've had long periods of drought we've had long periods of floods so every flood and drought is different so I think the the best I can do is suggest that people monitor the current conditions and 
and look at the outlook to see how things are changing. Um, one thing I will say is what, what we're seeing um, and what climate models have said would happen, I guess, for the last 20 years is an acceleration of some of that variability. Um, so we know that the Australian climate can go from wet to dry and cold to hot very quickly. Um, but given climate change, that variability sort of, it's accelerating. And I mean, what's really remarkable to me, I was looking at some stats yesterday in preparation for this interview. If you go back, um, you know, two years um, to the um, summer of 1819, you know, we broke so many records in, mm. in the basin for how dry it was. We we broke the two-year drought record. We broke the three-year drought record. And now here we are in 2022 and we've had um, two of the wet, two of the wettest years on record. Mm. Um, so it's it's quite remarkable how quickly the Murray Basin can go from um, extreme drought into extreme flood. Um, and although that people are very, very experienced in Australia with dealing with that cycle, um, we are seeing it um, accelerate. So we're seeing, um, you know, hotter droughts and, and that quicker turnaround between floods and droughts. Mm. Um, so the report, the Quinlivan report also said that the Bureau of Meteorology needed to be ready with updates to water trade data via a centralised hub, which mm. we were touching on a little bit earlier. So how are things progressing with that um, project and what sort of information can people access at the moment? Yeah, so um, essentially this is, this is the big focus for us in the water space at the moment is responding to the Australian government's water markets reform roadmap, which was released in October. Um, and what essentially it said is that we need to really step up in our capability and water markets information. So we have collected water markets information for the past 15 years, um, but some of the systems that we have in place to do that, some of the processes just aren't really fit for purpose given um, the maturation of Australian water markets. Um, so, you know, we receive some water markets data every week or every month. Um, some of it's incomplete. We don't capture all of it under the current water regulations. And we really need to do a sort of once in a generation uplift there. So moving um, to systems that capture and publish data in real time, which is really important for informing water market participants. Um, you know, some of the recommendations in that roadmap provide additional regulatory roles to the Inspector General of Water Compliance as well as the ACCC. But we need to provide those organisations with the data they need to mm. be regulators. Um, so what we're doing is we're going through uh, that roadmap and through the ACCC report and um, really turning those high-level requirements into detailed data requirements. Um, once that work's done, then we go out and start talking to data providers about what... So who provides data to you to you guys? Um, so the state registries are the biggest data providers, so the, the operators of each um, water market registry in each state, um, but also irrigation organisations, mm -hmm. um, and because there's a lot of uh, trade within yep. irrigation organisations. Um, and what the roadmap envisages is us onboarding some new data providers in the form of intermediaries. So under the current water re regulations which outline who has to provide data to us, it already includes state agencies, it already includes um, irrigation organisations. So in those cases, it's just a matter of modernising those arrangements um, and expanding them a bit. But for intermediaries, it will mean onboarding them to the water regulations for the first time. Um, and the reason that's really important is the water markets roadmap and the ACCC report um, both found that um, in order to have a really fair 
um, water market and one that could be adequately regulated, you really needed to capture what's called pre-trade data. So the offers that people are putting out there to sell water and the bids that people are putting in. Um, How do you um, capture that sort of data though? Um, look, I've got to be honest, the, um, I've got to confess, I'm not a data expert, but from, <laughs> from my view, the, the actual data sharing bit is not that complicated. I mean, each of us have apps on our phones mm. that capture and share data in real time. Um, we all have uh, online bank accounts where we can send money around in real time. Um, there's countless examples of real-time data exchange, but what is probably unique about um, about our arrangements is that we have to develop systems that really meet a really wide range of data providers and users. So, for example, one of our biggest data providers is Water New South Wales. Now, that's a very big organisation. They have very modern IT systems. Um, they're already sharing data internally. Um, so a discussion with them is very different to if we're talking to a small irrigation organisation that might not have much internal IT capability. And our job as a regulator is to deliver on the requirements of reforms like this, but also while minimising the burden that we put on those data providers. So what that requires is flexibility in how we go about doing it. There's not just one process or, or set of rules that we put in place for everyone because um, that's just not going to work. In addition to the centralised data hub, the Water Market Reform Roadmap also identified the need for the Bureau to, you guessed it, have a uniform data standard. It's something Matt says is foundational to ensuring the success of the data hub. There's a lot of different recommendations in the Water Markets Roadmap that relate to the Bureau, but there's two big ones. Um, and the big one that's sort of really easy and exciting to talk about is the water data hub. You know, we're going to go build a thing, which is yeah. very exciting, and the thing's going to tangible. Gonna, like people thing, can yeah, see it. The, yeah, thing, yeah. the thing's going to solve all the problems. But in my mind, the the thing is the easy bit. It's it's the standards that we have to develop beforehand. Mm. As I said, those standards need to facilitate the flow of data uh, into the hub, but um, they need to be developed in such a way that is really collaborative with all of those data providers. So we have data sharing mechanisms that. Um, are fit for purpose and they meet the requirements of regulators and of market participants, but don't impose undue burden um, on data providers. So, um, I mean, it's always hard when when you're delivering big government commitments that are big and shiny and people want to, you know, see announcements very quickly. But I think the key to this reform for us is actually doing the really hard work before we build the, mm. the shiny thing mm-hmm. in terms that we get the data sharing arrangements and the standards right. Um, from that perspective, the technology, um, some of the stuff we did 15 years ago was really groundbreaking at the time. Mm. These days, there's all sorts of off-the-shelf technology you can get for data capture and sharing. Um, it's the, the standards bit and the collaborative bit that is um, the hard work. The Bureau has been working on another project in recent years to make a wide range of water information more easily accessible. This project has delivered the Murray-Darling Basin Water Information Portal. This portal includes information on river flows, storage levels, rainfall, soil moisture, water availability, water price and water trades. The Bureau is seeking feedback from the public in order to make it better through enhancements to be launched during 2023. You know, not everyone, but a lot of people are a bit too polite and um, <laughs> with providing feedback. But the reality is, is that the more detailed and the more specific the feedback, the better we can make our products. Um, so we really encourage people to to get on board and have a look at these tools. And if they're not meeting their requirements or if there's other things, flick us an email at water at bomb.gov.au. Um, feedback is gold to us. 
particularly for the Merdane Basin Water Information Portal. Um, we've essentially got another year to keep working on that before the funding for that project dries up. And so now is the perfect time for us to really be hearing from users about what it is that they want and, and we can include it and we can make enhancements and things like that. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for joining us today on Water's Edge. We really appreciate you clearing some time in your schedule to talk to us. Um, thank you. No worries. Thanks for having me. Water's Edge is produced by the Inspector General of Water Compliance, Australian Government, Canberra. For more information, visit www.igwc.gov.au.